Hello and welcome back to the Payroll Podcast. I'm excited because this is an episode that takes us right back to our roots of the first ever episode that we did of the Payroll Podcast with a good friend of mine, Richard, who is Director of Education at the Payroll Centre. Now, we are going to be talking today about IR35. So anyone who was hoping for the delay or the appeal of the legislation, you will be disappointed. The announcement has made it really clear that the IR35 reforms will be going ahead altered on the 6th of April 2020. So rather than changing the underlying legislation, the review is going to focus on firming up how the reforms are put into effect. And I've got an absolute expert on the subject in Richard George, who's going to be joining me today on this podcast. So if you're not familiar with the uh, legislation or you're not quite sure what you need to do to make sure you're going to be fully ready and compliant for the new legislation, which does come into effect on the 6th of April 2020, Richard does give us a huge amount of advice on the subject and it's very implemented as well. Now, for those not familiar with Richard George, he's Experienced Director of Education at the Payroll Centre, and he's been delivering professional training and coaching on the IR35 legislation to a number of clients across the UK. Uh, He's an absolute expert, an absolute whiz when it comes to talking about this subject. So, So without further ado, sit back, get your pens at the ready, and let's talk about IR35. Enjoy. Welcome to the Payroll Podcast with your host, Nick Day. Find out what it takes to truly discover what it takes to elevate your career within payroll as we meet with the industry leaders who are shaping the industry for tomorrow. So hello and welcome to the Payroll Podcast. I'm joined by Richard George, Director of Education at the Payroll Centre. Now you heard from my introduction there that the government has just announced a review of the IR35 off payroll tax reform, making good on Chancellor Sajid Javid's promise back in November, on the face of it anyway. But I'm in the company of a bit of an IR35 expert, so I'm going to be probing Richard for as much information as we can on IR35 and how it's going to be affecting the payroll industry. Five quick questions. Let you take the floor, Richard. Uh, thanks for joining us again for the uh, Pearl Podcast, your second episode. First person to make it to a second show, so I'd like to have you back. Uh, tell us about IR35. How do we get to where we are right now? So, good morning, Nick, and uh, hello, everybody, and uh, it's good to be back. Um, so, IR35 legislation, um, as I'm sure most people are aware now, um, we always call it off payroll working. Um, it's uh, it's quite old legislation in relation to what we do today. Um, hence, it's still called IR35 for Inland Revenue, uh, which is always quite funny. Good shout. Uh, yeah, absolutely. Um, so if we actually look at sort of how it all came about, it all started back in the year 2000. Um, and it was all around the public sector and consultations that they had around people working within that industry on whether a, a consultative basis. Principally, it was all about tax and national insurance being deducted from people who were working for the employers. Um, it was, however, down to them initially as to what they did in the tax and NI and such like. Because in most cases, these people are going to be working for personal service companies, which we call intermediaries, um, or very small limited companies or themselves. Um, principally what happened was as we moved sort of through that sort of early decade in the 2000s the government realised that there was possibly uh, or probably quite a lot of tax evasion Um, and therefore in 2017 I guess completely turned the um, situation on its head and what they did in 2017 through the legislation then 
was they actually made it the responsibility of the engager, um, so whoever was taking the person on, so whether that was the railways, the councils, or whatever it may be, um, it made them responsible for actually deciding whether that person should pay tax and national insurance on their income. And as such, through the fee payer, which we'll talk, probably talk about a bit later on, actually making a tax and an deduction themselves, rather than leaving it to the intermediary's business or the personal service company to make the deduction. Um, so that was the key change. Um, the government estimate that they probably made around £800 million of extra revenue uh, between 2017 and uh, where we are today, um, purely because of the, I guess, the tighter controls and uh, stricter regimes that the employers would have had around making the deductions and the individuals themselves. So that's kind of where it all was. Um, principally, though, however, it was um, restricted to the public sector. Um, so as I'm sure a lot of you are aware, um, in the budget in 2018, um, the Chancellor at the time made the announcement that it would move into the private sector from this April 2020. Um, lots of concern. Um, there was a huge amount of concern around how long people needed because it was actually meant to come in last year. So it had the one year delay. Um, but as Nick has mentioned, there's been um, not one but three fairly large consultations on this, two already being completed at the end of last year. Um, the government last week did commit to the change in April 2020. Um, so it looks like it is a complete go ahead. And really the latest consultation that's going on isn't about the legislation. It's more about how a business is going to adopt the legislation. Yeah. But I guess also is how are the truly self-employed people going to be protected and assisted so that I guess they remain outside of it. So first thing to make really clear to anyone listening to this thing, just in case you are hoping for any kind of delay or repeal of the legislation, you are going to be disappointed. The announcement made it really clear that the IR35 reforms are going to go ahead completely unaltered on the 6th of April 2020. So with the confirmation these changes to the regime are going to hit the private sector, um, we're obviously going to see a number of arrangements um, you know, start to, to come to the fore and they're going to be on the rise. We're going to see things like contractor loan schemes. We're going to see third party R35 checking arrangements change. We're going to see umbrella companies, certainly in my sector, which is recruitment, where we're you know looking after a number of contractors. It's something that we need to be right on the pulse with as well, because it's going to affect the way that we work. Um, we've also got to be very mindful of the number of um, interesting solutions coming to the market that may not be completely compliant. And of course, from the payroll perspective, it's going to have a huge impact on the industry as well. So like it or not, the onus is obviously now on the private sector to prepare for these changes. So with that in mind, Richard, what are the roles in business when it comes to legislation that, that the payroll functions across the UK really need to start considering and thinking about? Yeah, it's a really good question, Nick. I mean, principally, the initial start point is the big question. Um, and the big question which really undermines the whole process is if you employed this person, would they be an employee? And you can pretty much uh, blanket paint the whole process in relation to this. Now, as far as the involvement is concerned, um, it can be very simple or it can get very, very complicated very, very quickly. Um, what we're really looking at here is, I guess, four tiers um, of involvement. Um, obviously, the individual or the worker who is the person doing the work. So they're providing the service to the client. 
the likelihood is that they will work for um, something like a managed or personal service company or a limited company, or maybe stand alone themselves. So that is actually the employer um, in the true sense of the word of the individual. So they are the people who would be expecting to be paid for that individual's work. I guess going to the other end of the spectrum straight away, though, really, we then have the client or engager. So this will be the company who's actually employing the services or using the services of the worker themselves. And they are the receiver of that individual. So under the legislation, their principal role initially is determining the status of that individual. And I'm sure as we go through this today, we'll talk more about that. But usually um, that client engager may not necessarily be the actual um, company who are paying the um, personal service company. And we call them the fee payer. Um, And that would more than likely possibly be an agency or a in-between company. But it could in fact be the client. So principally, it's the client is the engager and the determiner. They may be the fee payer, but they may be a separate fee payer who with the new legislation will be actually contemplating whether there's tax and NI to deduct. There could be further agencies within the process, but in the end, we get down to the personal service company who are the employer. And then finally, obviously, the individual providing the work. And that's really the, I guess, the core mapping of how this would would look in a business. I think one thing just to, to jump on this for people to be aware of as well is obviously we've, we've already been through this once in the public sector but when you know this this was launched in the public sector there was a huge promotion of non-compliant payroll arrangements that really ramped up their marketing efforts at the time so listening to you know Richard's distinction of exactly what the different parties are and what the roles are is really really important because we're going to see I imagine again a huge rise in potentially non-compliant payroll arrangements and companies coming to the fore offering an alleged IR35 compliant solution that may actually not be so with that in mind Richard you know what should the engager really consider when they're considering taking on a contractor or when they're you know looking at this IR35 legislation? Well, I guess there's two things, really. I mean, the first is the true path that uh, I guess the employment takes below them. And what I mean by that is uh, who are the actual parties in the line uh, in respect of who needs to be involved? And as you quite rightly said, Nick, you're going to see these, not necessarily umbrellas, but um, I guess animals appearing uh, within the process and they could be there to try and provide a service that may actually not necessarily be required. Um, a good example could be you employ, a, as I say, you, you, you take on the uh, worker from an agency and that agency may already be compliant, e.g. The, the, the agency may be deducting tax and NI already sure. from you, but it would be very easy to fall into a loop where somebody comes in and says, look, we can be the in-between and work with your agency and that may be completely unnecessary. So I guess principally it's uh, understand the path um, that the, I guess, the chain of employment works through. Understand each party and what their part is in it. And I guess also understand what they're already um, doing. I guess on the other side of that also is uh, understanding what you truly are. Um, When we started talking about IR35 12 months ago in any sort of anger, a lot of organisations believed that because they were in the engager that they would be deducting tax and I, et cetera, et cetera. And in fact, in a lot of cases, that won't be the case. 
um, because the likelihood is you're employing them through an agency um, or a series of agency routes where actually, and I mentioned the phrase fee payer, could actually sit outside of the payroll. Um, that you actually run. So you could actually just be making a determination on the individual. However, it's the end, this is the, the key point to bear in mind as well, it's the end client's responsibility for determining the IR35 status of the PSCs that they're Absolutely. engaging. So you know, you can't also just palm everything off. You need to be aware of you know what your responsibilities are. And there is going to be a, a status determination statement that's being introduced, which is, which is referring to the IR35 decision, which must be passed down by the client. Um, I do you might be able to explain more about that. Yeah, maybe. so this is all to do with the CEST or Check Employment Status for Tax Tool. Um, so, as I mean, we, if you're well, we can talk about determination now, really. So, as new, uh, Nick White Riley said, the determination of status of the individual is down to the employer or the taker honor. So, what the government have is something called CEST, so Check Employment Status for Tax Tool. Um, it's very easy to find if you've never seen it. Uh, if you go into Gov and literally put in CEST, it'll take you to what is an online wizard-based tool. What this tool is primarily there to do is to assist and determine the status of an individual that you're uh, employing um, as a worker. And really what it does is it will ask a series of questions and they're leading questions that lead on to each other. And Really, when you look at the, I guess, the overriding statement of what that tool is doing is it's looking for control. So the whole principle around the IR35 states of the individual is what control does the employer have over that worker while they're in their employment? Sure. Um, So the questions will ask such things as, do they represent your company in front of clients? Do you determine the hours they work or the work they do? Do they work in your office and use your technology? Are you in control of, I guess, changes in what they do for you? Can they substitute, which is obviously very key, especially when you look at true self-employment. And if they can substitute, do you have a say in that? So what it's doing is it will ask a series of questions. And on the principle of those questions, come out with one or three answers. Um, it'll either say that they come under IR35 and tax and then I should be deducted. It will say that they are considered as self-employed when they move into what could be um, Schedule D or alike. Or it will say we don't know the answer, which is uh, obviously not a lot of use to anyone. As uh, Nick also mentioned, what it also then does is it creates a PDF. Um, and what that PDF shows, if you've had the uh, opportunity to see it or not, is really a breakdown of all the questions that have been asked and all the questions that have been answered, um, what the answers were and how that's led to the determination that the system's used. And the great thing is that then acts as your, I guess, um, not only audit path, so you obviously have a copy of what you've got to, but it also acts as your communication. And within the new process, which is different to the public sector process, that communication has to be passed legally, not only to the fee payer, um, possibly the agency and the P and the personal yeah. service company, but the other key change now is it has to go to the worker themselves as well, so that they have the ability to see why they've got to the decision you've got to, how that's been made up, so that they can determine themselves whether they believe it's correct, and then we can talk as well about the processes now in place should they disagree. Now, we are expected to see, again, going back to these non-compliant solutions that you're going to see in the market, and I just want everyone to be, you know, um, I guess, 
vigilant to, to, to what some of these solutions that may be coming out in the market, which is why I want to work with Richard here. He's a bit of an expert on the subject. And obviously, the Payroll Centre offers some excellent training courses on IR35 if you're interested. And I'll put some links in the episode notes so you can uh, find out more about that if you're interested in engaging with Richard. But we are expecting to see a number of sham statements of work arrangements where the documents don't accurately reflect what really happens in reality. And the reason I make uh, this point is because anyone in the supply chain, that's anyone who does not do what they should do or passes down the status determination statement does become liable for any unpaid tax and NI. Now, clients will have a duty of reasonable care, so a status determination will not count if the client has failed to take reasonable care as well. So I think, you know, if you're still not completely sure, uh, you know, in, in what that involves and maybe rewind this this part of the podcast and have a re-listen to, to the words which has just gone on, gone on to, to, to describe. Yeah, and I think it's quite important, that one, Nick, on the principle that if you are the engager and you've done the determination or even if you haven't, if the process doesn't roll down to the fee payer, as you quite rightly said, you may well end up having the liability. Um, you can't blame the umbrella company or no, the agency. It'll come back to you as well. And yeah. that could mean you putting in new process, which again we could talk about in a minute, um, having to run new payrolls, new pay dates, and quite an integral project, which given you may not currently need to, could suddenly become, uh, I guess, quite prevalent within your business. I guess the other thing as well on the back of what Nick said about safety is uh, we're already seeing sort of unreal or fake CEST tool support yeah. companies. Yeah who are going to say, well, we'll do your CEST testing for you and charge you X number of pounds for the pleasure. When actually it's like a lot of these things, it's free, it's on Gov, it's very simple. And all you've got to do is answer the questions truly and truthfully. And, and, and do, do, do your due diligence, I mean, take a look at when these companies are actually setting themselves up, who's behind them. I mean, the, the payroll market is a niche market. Right. We do know the professionals and the institutions that, that, that really do support this industry. And I think if you see a solution out in the market, you know, headed up by an individual that you've never heard of or seen in the industry before, who's not accredited or doesn't have a track record in, you know, in delivering really good payroll compliance solutions, then um, perhaps question it and, 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 you know, dig a little bit deeper because there are a number of, you know, really good and reputable payroll solutions providers that are offering, you know, good training, good solutions to this. So again, just 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 yeah, be vigilant, it, really. It's a funny thing to say, we've seen it in so many other markets, it's a bit like passport support and uh, exactly. driving license support. You know, you pay your £12 for your application and all they're doing is making you fill in the same application that you would with the passport office sending it off for you. You know, it's that kind of thing. Without ending on the sword of Damocles and fear, <laughs> let's uh, let's move on a little bit. I'm going to jump to a quick advert break here. And we're going to, when we come back, we are going to find out exactly how employers can prepare. So uh, that's probably the, the, the most important section for you guys. So listen on. And uh, when we come back, Rich is going to tell us how employers can prepare for the legislation. Have you ever asked yourself... How can I recruit payroll staff effectively? Please don't give up on your recruitment project just yet. Here at JGA Payroll Recruitment, we appreciate the difficulties associated with attracting, recruiting and retaining top payroll talent. We also understand just how costly a poor payroll hire can be. JGA Recruitment are a niche payroll recruitment agency who will partner with you to resource payroll candidates who will improve both the accuracy and efficiency of your payroll department. Contact us today on 01727 800 377 or visit jgarecruitment.com to find out more. 
five technical questions. So Richard, tell us, how can employers prepare? Okay, so I guess when it comes down to the process is, number one, if you're a private sector, do you actually need to do this? So as you're probably aware, uh, if you've had any involvement with this already, um, the private sector has been considered very differently to the public sector. In relation with the private sector, you need to be classified as not small, um, which is a bizarre statement in its own rights. But principally, what this is, is the size of your business will determine how and if you will be having to do the um, process. Um, And principally, the basis of this is um, there's two methods. If you are a company um, under the Companies Act, then you have to pass one of two or three of two or three conditions. So your annual turnover um, is more than 10.2 million. Uh, a balance sheet total of more than 5.1 million or you're employing more than 50 people. Uh, if you tick two of those boxes, you're in. Um, if you can't tick two of those boxes, you're not. Um, but principally also, if you're not under the Companies Act, there is a simplified test, um, which is just looking at turnover. Um, so it's 10.2 million pounds, and that's principally the rules around the private sector. Um, But when you're looking at actually what do you need to do and what considerations do you need to consider, really the first question you've got to ask yourself is, do I have in my current workforce or am I going to have in my workforce engagements of this style? So the first really key role is identifying individuals who are supplying services to you. And as I said, that'd usually be for a personal service company or a limited company. From that, it's really determining if the rules apply. Um, You can use the CES tool whenever you like. I mean, it is live um, and it has been live for a fairly long time. Uh, And in fact, at the start of December, they actually made some changes to it. So there was a lot of, um, I guess, questions in the consultation about the uh, actual ability of the CES tool for the private sector. Um, The government listened um, and they made changes. And from what I understand, they still are. So we may well see further change before April, but principally run people through the tool, um, see what the status is, get an understanding of what service they're providing to you. Start talking to people um, within your organisation. So if you have contractors already in your business or you're going to have contractors in the next few months, talk to them. Um, Make sure they understand what you're going to be doing and the rules you'll be applying. Um, And then it's all about process. So what processes are you going to put in place first of all to make the determination whose job is it going to be because uh, as you imagine I meet a lot of payroll people um, in my life which is obviously a wonderful thing Um, and the number of stories you hear where uh, somebody will say well it's a payroll problem so I'm giving it to you well is it and that's the big question if you're not the fee payer then actually there's no payroll involvement really at all principally so Is it the determination that needs to be done by payroll or is it an HR role or some other role within the business? So I guess you've got to understand who's in the role, who who needs to be in the roles. The likelihood is finance, most definitely, because the likelihood is at the moment is it's an accounts payable process. Sure. Yeah, Um, I'd agree with that. And that's really key. Um, And if you are the fee payer, that may well change because you're going to have to work out tax and NI. It's got to be returned on the FPS, um, principally there could be apprentice levy because it's nickable income. So 
think about who's involved um think about who's going to be doing what um i always sort of align this myself to almost gdpr um which obviously is wonderful because i talked about that as well um but principally it's a project um it's not a sole area role it's one of those things where you've got to get involved parties together sure. and have a strategy um and then I guess it's really how do you then create a procedure or a process or I guess a timeline in your pay month or in the company's month as to how you're actually going to work this. Because you do need to think about things. Number one, are you going to provide a pay slip if you are going to be the fee payer? Key question. Question number two, when do they get paid? Because if you're going to run it through the payroll, are you going to pay them all on payday? You know, how are you going to, I guess, if that is the route, going to apply that as in in and out against what we call the deemed payment? So I think there's quite a lot of considerations and a lot of planning um, for a reasonably sized business who have a number of people in this involvement. They're talking about a six month lead, really. So, we're, you know, if you haven't started yet, you're, you're, you've got three months to go. I think something to, to bear in mind, if you're listening to this and your business is a business which engages limited company contractors whether it's through an agency which is probably more than likely uh, or not then you you really do need to act now don't, don't bury your head in the sand because there are a lot of business out there that employ a huge number of limited company contractors across all sectors um, obviously as a, a recruiter myself we've got a number of contractors that, that, that we're working with that are assigned to clients all over the UK you know working in payroll and HR but of course employers will take contractors in across all sectors of their business so if you you know, working for an employer that is engaging a high number of limited company contractors, then you know it, it's worth acting on this now, establishing who those contractors are, and establishing you know what those arrangements are going to be going forward, uh, because it could well impact your your function. Yeah, I, I think it's also really key that if you are the fee paying engager, um, that you contemplate the payroll side. Therefore, so question number one is: Can the system calculate and withhold pay and nick contributions for these people? Um, can the accounts package submit returns to RTI for these people? Um, will the worker be added to your payroll um, to complete the, the process? Um, is the payroll system you have capable of handling them? Remember, you're just looking at tax NI and apprentice levy, nothing else. Where's the data going to come from? Um, are you going to have a position or have an ability to collect data from the individuals? Remember, you're going to need a new starter checklist. You're going to need an NI number for them all of a sudden. Um, but also, are you up to date with what's changed in things like RTI? So there's a new indicator from April, for instance, for IR35 staff coming on your payroll. Good knowledge, um, didn't know that. Okay. Uh, yes. yeah. so, it's almost like, like your job. I know, I'm <laughs> mad. Um, but that status marker is there for very good reason. Um, and that is because, as I mentioned earlier, it's just tax NI and apprentice levy. We're not interested in anything else like student loans we're not interested in court orders. We're not interested in providing P45s when they leave. So what this status indicator is there for is really a suppression. So it's trying to suppress the things that you putting a starter on your RCI would normally do. Um, and then principally, as I mentioned earlier, when are you gonna pay them? They may have an expectation, say a 30 day turnaround, which may not fit in with your payroll window. 
So, you know, are you going to push the money back to accounts payable, for instance, and have them make payment to it? But remember, then you've still got to somehow supply some kind of information about tax and NI. So I think there are, especially if you are a fee-paying engager, I think there is a large number of questions you need to ask. Have you been to your software provider? So whether you use a bureau, whether you use a package such as Star or whatever it may be, are they making changes to support you? Are you being given the tools by them to assist you? So as Nick quite rightly said, this is a project path that you should be already into. Um, and uh, if you're not, it's time to get the right people around the table. You also don't want to be doing this project in the middle of the year end, right? So if yeah, you start now, it's probably a, a, a wise idea. Just, just out of interest, Richard, um, and taking it slightly left field, this is probably more, uh, you know, res- it's going to resonate more with what I do as a recruiter. But what do you think of the responses of the likes of HSBC who now refuse to employ limited company contractors? Do you think that's going to set a precedent for other businesses? Um, well, it, it, it depends on how many you've got. I think... Principally, part of the issue is about the actual determination um, and the extra workload. So as I'm sure a lot of you are aware of the case within the rails um, where they had hundreds and hundreds of contractors and blanket decided on the lot on the back of HMRC telling them to do so. Um, They seem to have changed their path quite dramatically now and every individual is an individual. So if you have four or five hundred um, possible people within this environment, you're running four or 500 checks on their status. You know, is the workload something that you're going to be considering? Um, will it sort of, I guess, calm down over time? And you suspect it probably will. Um, but it's, it's the administration of it, I guess, is the key for something like HSBC because they must have a huge number. Sure. Um, and as such, suddenly you're probably looking at a very large cost in relation to poor, pure labour. Yeah. Um, never mind the the issue. I mean, in relation to actually doing the work, it's not really a, a financial cost vis-a-vis the tax and the NIACs, etc. like that, but it's the labour chain to actually process a large number of, I guess, intermediary-based staff that would be the, the, the pullback, um, especially if you have a very high turnover. So if you, for instance, have a, a lot of very short-term entrants... Um, so, for instance, IT businesses would be a really good example, yeah, sure. I guess, where you bring in a group of IT support for a project, um, but because what the project they're doing means they're supplying the company and they're working to the company's requirements, very, very quickly they'd come under R35. And therefore, you could suddenly have a group of people for two months, um, well over 100 people, and the I guess the administrative... Uh, burden on that would be absolutely huge. So we're seeing a lot of um, businesses, mainly in the financial sector so far, who are now just converting, they're not taking them as a company contractors, everyone's got to be PAYE, but mm-hmm. that, that really affects the contractor market. You know, those people are now effectively worse off than they were before, and they don't necessarily want to go PAYE, or if they do, they're looking for significant amounts, yeah, and it's costing employers. I so. agree, and it's, it's also removing the flexibility as to why they became a consultant in the first place. Exactly, exactly. And, you know, what's the point? Um, other than the fact that you do, I guess, move a lot. So, so with that in mind, which is like, do you believe the legislation is, or how workable, shall I say, do you think legislation is in its current form, or do you think it, it is unworkable? Is it, you know, I, I think it? it's a it's a double edged sword, um, and I think also it is so controlled by, I guess, the turnover um, for you know 
70 percent of uk businesses where the likelihood is they're engaging through an agent um i would suggest that a determination status for one or two people a month is not a big deal but it's as you quite rightly said when you're looking at blanket size um uh intakes so project companies um support companies consultation businesses i think this is going to be fairly unworkable um and really tough for them to bring in and I guess it's that kind of business that's probably more pushing back at the moment. Sure. Um, and also the smaller businesses saying, well, we just don't have the admin capability all the time to actually get this stuff in place. So, uh, Are there any current uh, loopholes to the legislation that we need to be, to be wary of? Um, I'm guessing not so much loopholes, but it's dangers. Um, remember, if you're the engager and you're determining, you, you don't know what's happening down the path. Um, and I think that's why, especially with a large, you know, with a larger business, I think due diligence around your, I guess, intake is absolutely enormous. So who is in that path? Because you know, we've seen examples where there can be six or seven parties between the engager and the PSC, the private service company. So even if you think about the control of determination, the control of flow of determination down. Um, ensuring that the right party is actually involved in the um, deductions, ensuring that the right people are getting the money. You may have issues, for instance, where organisations suddenly become offshore. Interesting. Um, yeah, okay. You know, and they could be the fourth person down in the chain, and instantly then that moves the determination or the, the flow process sure. again because they sort of drop out of the process. So then, is it the one above or the one? You know, so I think in that respect, it's. Uh, it's more not necessarily the engager that has uh, any loopholes or views. I mean, the process is pretty straightforward. It's more is, is the right process occurring down to the worker? Um, and I think if you're a diligent employer, then this is something I think it's very important you understand. So if I'm a, I'm a payroll manager now, I've listened to this, I'm trying to take it all in. Perhaps I'm, uh, you know, it's relatively new, potentially, hopefully not, but maybe there's some relatively new news here. Do you think, okay, I've got to really get myself prepared for this. What are the things I should be doing and thinking about now as a payroll manager over the next, you know, sort of actionable steps, if you like, Richard, that I should be yeah, I, engaging with now? I think it kind of goes back to what I said earlier on to a degree, but I think uh, principally the very first thing you need to understand is do you have people that could come under this? Yeah. Um, and you would suspect that a very large number of businesses do. Um, I always use the, my favourite example, which is Bob. So Bob worked for you um, for 30 years and then got made redundant of his own choice. Um, he bought himself a boat. He sailed around the med for a couple of years, um, decided he'd had enough of that. So he comes back to your company as a consultant. Um, we've all seen them. Um, and amazingly, they usually sit at the same desk with the same laptop doing pretty much the same work. You know, from that up to the fact that you may have 70% of your workforce um, under this environment. Uh, especially in the project world. So you need to understand the impact to you. Is the, If you are a company that just has employees, great, but it's highly unlikely in a centre business that's truly going to be the case. So the principle is understand your workforce, understand what your workforce is going to be and is going to be in the future. Make sure that you have the right parties in your organisations understanding the legislation and also understanding if or where they fit in the process. If you do have this process, your environment needs to consider the financial aspect of it, e.g. 
not only how do you currently manage it through possibly um, accounts payable, but the labour cost of having this process in place, because every, nothing's for free. Um, people's time will be taken. And if that's the case, get yourself ready. Understand what you're going to need to do, or what other people are going to do. Understand where you fit in the process and what the other parts of that process are. And as I mentioned earlier, if necessary, talk to your providers and understand what they're going to do to support you hopefully as part of their standard package. And the good thing is it's, a, it's another opportunity for payroll managers to really raise their own profile with some multifunction collaboration because you need to you need to work with your HR departments, you need to work with your financial departments, you need to work with the, uh, the, the owners of businesses potentially and all the hiring managers that are, are dealing with contractors. So it's a real opportunity for the payroll professionals out there to you know, start start improving and, and increasing their level of collaboration internally with the other functions to... Um, so to make sure everything's compliant and, and, and above board. Yeah, and I think also if there is a positive, you know, it may well support better legitimacy within the partners you're going to be working with. Absolutely. Um, because you are going to be more aware of what they're doing, where previously you may have just been, oh, well, it's an agency. They'll send a bill to my accounts department, the bill will get paid and I'm not interested in it. So, you know, possibly there's going to be better policing for you. Um, but as Nick quite rightly said much earlier in the, in the uh, podcast, you have to be ready that there are going to be people who are going to try and make money from this. It's a fool's market, as and, they say. You know, but p- payroll managers now, it's not just about paying your employees. It's, you know, a huge part of the, payroll, the, the, the modern payroll manager's responsibility is also about protecting uh, you know, your, your own employers, um, you know, for making sure that they are compliant. Um, and this is another opportunity to, to, to do that, which I think is excellent. Is there any questions that I haven't asked Richard or anything that you, you want to include about the R35 legislation that uh, is really important that we need to uh, just 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 provide while we've got the opportunity? Um, no, I guess, I guess it's the, the check employment status is really key. Um, so we've kind of got a, a, a base wish list around that. So what you need to know really is what is that worker's responsibility? Can they substitute for another? Who decides what work needs to be done while they're with you? Who will the worker represent uh, while they're doing work for you? Who decides when, where and how the work's done? How will the worker be paid? And if the engagement includes anything such as benefits or expenses, how are they going to be managed? And I think if you can have a sort of checklist of those questions before you start your determination, um, you can't go too far wrong. So there's your opportunity, guys. Rewind that little section back 30 seconds. Grab a pen, grab a piece of paper, make make note of the, uh, the those points that Richard's just highlighted, and hopefully you'll be ready and prepared for the legislation as it comes in. But if you are interested in learning more or you want to engage at the Payroll Centre uh, with some training to make sure you're fully compliant, then uh, Richard, tell us, where can uh, the people listening to this podcast find out more about the services that the Payroll Centre are offering on this legislation? So... We have two forms of um, training um, in relation to IR35. We either have online training uh, where you can uh, download uh, what are currently two um, fairly lengthy but very important training sessions um, on the subject um, and use at your own will then. Um, Or you can do face-to-face. So if you go on our website, um, there is an area there for hot topics. Go on to IR35 and we're running a series through uh, end of February and March 
um, in the usual places, your Londons, your Glasgows, your Bristols, your Birminghams, your Manchesters and your Edinburghs, uh, if memory serves correctly. So it's, it's really how you want to get through it. So if you're the type of person who likes face-to-face, um, a bit of context around it, um, and also having the ability to ask an expert, face-to-face could be the answer. But if it's just something that you want to take away, you know, during your lunch break or in the evening, go through then you can do it online as well. And the two options are there. Excellent. I will obviously put links in the episode notes, both to Richard's LinkedIn profile, if you want to reach out to Richard directly, and of course to the uh, Payroll Centre website as well. So the countdown to the 6th of April is on. Like it or not, the onus is now on the private sector to prepare for these IR35 changes ahead of April. So make sure you're prepared. Listen to this podcast again if you need to, or indeed check the episode notes and reach out to the Payroll Centre or Richard to make sure that you are fully compliant and ready for April the 6th. That just about wraps us up. So Richard, thanks again for being the first person to come back on a (laughs) second episode of the podcast. Although there may be Mary Holland who might be competing with oh, you from the US but uh, it's been an absolute pleasure to have you back you were the first person I ever interviewed for the payroll podcast and you are pretty much the first person Ho- to hopefully re- not the last to record in 2020 <laughs> as well so there we are 24,000 downloads later as we are now uh, it's, it's taken some traction so thanks ever ever so much for coming to the offices today to, uh, to record this episode on our 35 and um, I look forward to speaking to you all again in a couple of weeks thanks and happy new year to everybody and I'm going to take one quick opportunity guys to, just to remind you if you are listening to this and you do have a payroll recruitment requirement then please do give me a call or drop me an email we can definitely help and we can recruit all levels of payroll professional including people that can help you with IR35 legislation if you need it uh, drop me an email nick at j jrecruitment.com or give me a call 01727 800 377 and if you like this podcast remember to share it like it review it and give it to all your payroll friends so we can increase the listeners even more for 2020 thanks again and i'll speak to you all real soon cheers thank you so much for tuning into the payroll podcast with nick day of jga recruitment if you need help with a current payroll vacancy then please get in touch with nick and his team All contact details can be found in the episode notes. In the meantime, to make sure you never miss a future episode, please subscribe to the show through any of your favorite podcast channels. Till next time.